expectations are so high when you go into a brand new Martin Scorsese picture. And I got to say, it's nice to not be let down. Welcome, everyone, to FF Plus and the Feel and Film Podcast, your outlet for reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I'm your host, Aaron White, and this is one of the most anticipated films of the entire year, a movie that premiered back at the Cannes Film Festival from one of our great, great working directors, and a man who probably doesn't have a lot of movies left in him. Honestly, he actually has been reflecting recently. And so everything we get to see from him is just a blessing at this point going forward. There's also been a lot of chatter about this film online, about its link. And I'm going to try to answer some of the questions you might have about that when I get into the review. Thank you for being here. I'm excited to get into it. So here we go. The movie is Killers of the Flower Moon. It's coming to us from Apple TV and Paramount Pictures. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, Jesse Plemons, Tantu Cardinal, John Lithgow, and Brendan Fraser. It is directed by Martin Scorsese and is written by Eric Roth and Martin Scorsese and based on the nonfiction book Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders, and The Birth of the FBI by David Gran. Cinematography is by Rodrigo Prieto. It is edited by Thelma Schoonemaker. And its music is by Robbie Robertson. It runs 206 minutes and is rated R for violence, some grisly images, and language. What's it about? Members of the Osage tribe in the United States are murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s sparking a major FBI investigation involving J. Edgar Hoover. Now, first of all, I should probably tell you I'm a big fan of Grand's book. It is one of my favorite books of all time. I think it is a masterwork and an incredibly important piece of nonfiction that everyone should read, whether you see this film or not. And I think that Martin Scorsese does a really good job of adapting and dramatizing the murders of the Osage, the mistreatment of them, and what specifically happened to Molly's family and that part of the book. What he doesn't really dive into at all is that birth of the FBI part in the title. That's kind of brushed off to the side. And I guess that's understandable because honestly, that could have been an entire film all on its own. And when you're going so deeply into showing what he does in three and a half hours, I can't imagine him expanding it any further. And so overall, right off the top, I'm going to tell you, I think that this is a really, really well-made film and captures the essence of the book pretty darn well. Speaking of the runtime, obviously many people are probably going to be turned off by a three and a half hour drama. This is not a propulsive film. I do not feel that it has the same energy behind it as something like, for example, earlier this year, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which was also about three hours. This is even longer, and this is much more of a character drama. I don't think that there is 
much of a mystery to be solved. You pretty much are aware of what is happening throughout the entire film. And it's a much more patient character drama and telling. And I think that since this is effectively a history lesson, there's a missed opportunity here to make this more accessible for wider audiences. Now, I know that's going to be a controversial take, especially amongst many of my film critic peers, but the thing I would say is that I could imagine 45 minutes, 30 minutes of this movie being shaved off and nothing changing whatsoever about the experience. And so because of that, I'm both understanding of the fact that Martin Scorsese has earned his right to have some excess, but fully aware that less of the people that he apparently wants to touch by showing this story to them are going to actually see it because it's just at an arm's reach for them. I've always been in favor of directors making the film they want to make, however long that's going to be. But if you're going to do this in the two hour and 45 minute plus range, you got to have an intermission. We need to bring that back. I think that would have helped this movie out a lot. There's a, a perfectly spaced place where the plot breaks and focuses on something else. And I think that, you know, putting in a 10-minute intermission there wouldn't have hurt this movie at all either. So that's another way you could have accomplished this. I do hope that people get out and see this, regardless of the length, but you just need to be aware that it is long. I don't think it ever gets boring. It held my attention, but it didn't do anything especially impactful to keep me awake either. And so if you're already struggling after a long day at work or you're tired because you're going to see this, you know, really late at night, you need to be aware of how that can affect your movie watching experience and plan accordingly. Now, the movie features a trio of A-plus performances from Leo, Lily, and Bob. Leonardo DiCaprio especially, this is in the conversation for his best performance ever. He is absolute perfection as Ernest. This is a simple man who comes back to Osage County. He is going to work for his uncle, and he just loves whiskey. He loves money, and he is easily manipulated and used by his uncle and those around him to become complicit in their greedy, ambitious, hateful, and hurtful schemes uh, and how they treat, mistreat, the Osage people, I think that the character is very layered because of his simple-mindedness. He is not able to process exactly what is going on around him at all times. Uh, he's in denial often, and while he does end up taking part in some of the crimes, he seems to truly believe that he loves Molly deeply. And there's an interesting element of that going on in this film where I think you become somewhat empathetic for him, but you find yourself challenged on whether or not he is deserving of that. At one point late in the film during a trial, he actually proclaims how much he really does love her. And I think there's a good discussion to be had after everyone has seen this on where people land on what love means. The definition of that, is it something that is just a feeling? Did Ernest act in a way that showed love to Molly during his time with her? 
Sometimes. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. He's a complicated character, and man, does DiCaprio just hit it out of the park with this performance. He is captivating and just phenomenal to watch go to work here. So I, I get why many people will wish that the film was centered more on Molly's character and Lily Gladstone, who is also fantastic. But I understand why you're taking someone like Leo and kind of putting it around him as a character. Part of that is also to do with the plot. Again, Lily Gladstone is wonderful as Molly. It's a very quiet and haunting performance. She is carrying the weight of the Osage people on her face at all times while simultaneously displaying an impressive strength and self-sufficiency and even probably an unwarranted tenderness towards others. You can tell that she is aware of what is happening to her people and to herself at many times throughout the film, and she is completely unable to really do anything about it, and she wants to believe that there are people in her life that are not going to be part of this scheme, and yet it's just not how it goes for her or many of the people uh, that were like her. And so it's just a really heartbreaking performance from her and, and extremely powerful. Unfortunately, the film does take her out of the narrative for pretty much the entire second half of the movie. Now, this is not because Martin Scorsese wanted it to be that way for dramatic purposes. It's because of how the story goes, because of what actually happened to her character in real life. The problem is that we have gotten so hooked on her performance. She Some of the biggest scenes in the movie are moments between her and Leo in conversation, whether it's big and bombastic or whether it's very quiet and still and patient. And when you take her presence out of the movie, it certainly changes things. She is very clearly missed on screen. And so I don't know that there was another way to get around this, but it's a problem. It's something that you as an audience member absolutely feel and find yourself thinking about wanting her back instead of just watching her be tormented occasionally when the screen cuts to her for five or ten seconds at a time to remind you of the pain that she's in. It's kind of miserable, to be honest, in that second half for most of it. De Niro, what a turn. I'm so glad to see him back and not de-aged. This is a reminder of why he is an all-time great actor. King, as he prefers to be called, is a truly horrible, horrible person. And he is portrayed so menacingly, connivingly, and just truly believes in his own white superiority to these people and his own right to something that is very much legally and rightfully theirs. He is a villain that is representative of all the exploitation and the taking advantage of and stealing from Native American peoples that the whites have done throughout history. He's easy to hate. He never becomes cartoony in the slightest. He is a very believable, charismatic character that is disgusting, and it really exemplifies exactly why white people were 
able to rally around each other and talk themselves into believing that they deserved this wealth that was never rightfully theirs. The first half of the movie or so follows the systematic weeding out of the Osage people to secure head rights. Basically, the head rights is their legal claim to the oil on their land. So white men would marry Osage women in order to eventually have those head rights passed down to them. It's a pretty straight crime drama that shows the mistreatment of the people and how it escalates from simply overcharging them for goods to controlling how they were able to even spend their own money to eventually murders via shooting, poison, bombings, etc. in order to get them out of the way so that the whites could have their money. There are occasionally jarringly violent deaths. These are given no real emotional reaction, and that is definitely the point of them. It shows just how brutal and unflinchingly uncaring the act was for the white people that were carrying out these murders, those who organized and committed them. Also very clearly depicted is the white community's horrid turning of their collective heads once the bodies start piling up. The mistreatment is a much broader covered thing in Grand's book. And I think that on one hand, it's sort of an unfair hyper-focus on the Hale character and his involvement and his actions around Molly's family. For better and worse, you know, you get bigger than that. And again, you're looking at potentially kicking out that runtime some. And the film already struggles with character development outside of the main trio. So it might have been too much to bite off. And, and I understand why keeping it here in this one little bubble um, was a better decision. But at the same time, I do wish that it would have hammered home just how much bigger of an issue that this was. This was not just one guy and one set of murders that needed to be solved. This is about the mistreatment and the abuse of a people by whites all over and the complicity of everyone in this whole community. The Osage Indians outside of Mali are not developed at all. And even most of her scenes include Leonardo DiCaprio and are about her relationship with him. The rest of the Osage are only shown long enough to establish why the whites would want to get rid of them. This point of view is consistent with their mistreatment, but showing them almost entirely as victims is kind of unfortunate as well. Second half of the movie injects a lot more humor. There are moments that happen that the audience is laughing at frequently, even though the characters aren't telling jokes. This is when the newly formed FBI finally gets an agent on scene to investigate the covered up genocide. We as the audience are already, again, aware of exactly who did it. So it's less a mystery being solved and more about whether or not they'll be able to overcome Hale's power and influence in the community in order to enact some semblance of justice. It eventually culminates in some legal proceedings. And then we get a shocking final scene that definitely reframes everything you've just watched with a little bit of a new perspective. It's one of the few artistic style 
choices in the entire film. And I found it to be pretty effective because it really hammers home on this idea of the audience reflecting on the history of what happened, but also reckoning with how these stories are passed down through generations and remembered. And there's a meta element to it that is quite interesting. And I'm excited to have people discover this moment and talk about it and find out what everyone takes away from it once people see the movie. Lastly, I'll just say that this is very technically strong. The score is not overbearing at all. It didn't stick out to me. There is a, a repetitive bit that plays oftentimes when the crimes are being schemed or about to be committed. And I think that it adds a little bit of energy to the movie. It helps to kind of get the blood pumping just a bit. But for the most part, the movie is not constantly scored and I appreciated it just fine. The photography from Prieto is absolutely mesmerizing. Just gorgeous, natural, and simplistic landscapes. Close-ups on faces in the best way. Really like how this shot was shot. There are one or two incredibly artsy shots. One that takes place specifically in a fiery blaze that I just absolutely loved. And I honestly wish there were a few more of that kind of photographic moments throughout the picture. Costumes are period and culturally specific, and they all look fantastic. The editing, I'll note this because Thelma Schoonmaker is such a beloved figure in the film industry and an all-time great. It's weirdly not a strength for me this time around. Marty and she choose to do something here throughout specifically the first part of the film, the first half, where the film will just cut to a moment in the past or a moment in the future. And it's not always clear when that is, what is happening. Sometimes it'll be the murder of a person and then we'll cut back and it's not really tied into any specific conversation that's happening at the moment. And then we'll get an explanation for what happened like an hour later. I just didn't really love the jumping around that the movie did. I thought it would have made more sense to just stay pretty much as a straightforward narrative and explain things as it went. It's not a confusing story, and they kind of made it a little extra confusing, I think unnecessarily. Maybe that's because it's supposed to be sort of a mystery about who done it, and you really don't feel like that while you're watching it because you're you're pretty aware of exactly who done it. And so they were trying to make it a little bit more heightened. But for me, I just didn't think that it was anything spectacular. It didn't work. And I would have preferred had we not done a bunch of these quick cuts to these moments that were not part of a scene that we were actually invested in watching in that in that time. All things considered, I think this is one of the director's best works is my bottom line. I, it takes... A familiar kind of family crime story that he is so good at, full of complex characters. But this one actually has a, a very specific importance historically, a reason for being told outside of just entertainment value. I look forward to seeing it again eventually when I'm definitely ready for it and fully energized, maybe not after a long day of work. So preferably starting earlier in the day. 
and I am excited to hear what everyone else thinks about the film once you get a chance to check it out. Killers of the Flower Moon will be in theaters on October the 20th, and just recently, Apple TV Plus actually took back the release date for when this would be streaming, and so it's indefinite at the moment. We're not exactly sure when it's going to show up on Apple TV+, Plus, but it will show up there at some point, hopefully in the near future. Still, it's worth seeing in a theater. I think if you're trying to watch this at home, three and a half hours, yeah, you can put in your own intermission, but it's also so much easier to get distracted. I say this all the time. It's easier to pick up your phone, miss great acting scenes, and really just not become as invested in the characters as you do when you're you're part of this swept up experience of this kind of epic tale over this long period. You're just stuck with your butt in that seat. So I highly recommend seeing it in a theater, supporting this kind of cinema, and then maybe your second watch, you watch it when it comes out streaming on Apple TV+. I know this has been longer than normal, but this is a big movie and I really wanted to get my thoughts out as thoroughly as possible. Thank you for listening or watching wherever you do that. Please like, subscribe, share us, review us. Appreciate all that stuff. Come find me on social media and let's chat. Tell me what you think about the movie when you see it. Until next time, keep watching and keep feeling filled.